Yes, people, what's happening? And welcome to the Frankie Allen podcast. You are here with your host, Will Cranny, alongside the UK's most feared comedian, Frankie Allen. How are you doing today, Frank? Doing great today. And um, it's only a few weeks now that we're waiting for the uh, lockdown to be totally lifted. I know it's three months, but I'm trying to count it in weeks and it's not doesn't seem that far away and we'll be working again keep your fingers crossed yeah so we decided i mean i'm I'm hoping you guys i'm sure you did based on the comments and the likes etc enjoyed the the previous podcast that we did with guests in this studio with jazza dickens just gone and Phil Steele the week previous. We missed a week last week. I apologise. That's my fault. It's purely due to the fact that I've been working hell for leather on events. But Frank, events is what you want to do in it. This is what, you know, this is what we're all striving towards. So it's good to have a bit of positive news, I suppose. Well, I mean, this is very detrimental to mental health and to everyone's well-being. It's just gone on for far too long. And whether you believe, you know, that the virus is as, serious as what they say or if you don't believe whatever whatever your belief system is about the whole thing the truth is the reality is that we've all been in the house locked down we couldn't go out and not and there's nothing worse really is that than you can't make money for your family you can't interact with other people there's no freedom of movement you can't go abroad you can't go on a holiday and even worse than that you know people who waited for life-saving operations haven't been able to have them. So the whole thing has been absolutely terrible. Just thank God, you know. What I always say to people, nobody seems to realise this, it was only this time last year or eight months ago that they didn't have a cure. So where would we be now? It literally be, it could have been like the Black Plague in the Middle Ages where there's bodies stacked up on the corners. All those Nightingale hospitals would have been overrun. God knows what it would have been like in the general hospitals around the country in different cities and towns. We would have been overwhelmed. Thank God, you know, thank our uh, brilliant scientists who found a vaccine in record time, in a matter of weeks, really, in a matter of months, when normally it will take five to ten years to develop a vaccine for anything. So we've been quite lucky, really, as well, that we've found a cure, it's a cure in such a short space of time. So it's reason for everyone now to be optimistic. Good stuff. Glad to hear you optimistic. I'm sure a lot of people watching this will be feeling good with positive news. I've got a lot of positive news to share with people, Jordan, this podcast. So obviously we had two guests in the last two podcasts. Yeah. We decided a bit of a clean break today. Okay. Reason being lots of people are missing the chats that we and you have between ourselves, well, you know, what do you reckon? Did you enjoy having guests in the last couple of times? Of course, it was great. Jazza was brilliant. And, uh... Shall I tell them about the dream I had about Jazza last night? Yeah, well, Jazza Dickens, great boxer. But uh, Phil Steele, equally as brilliant. You're fantastic. Um, talking about, you know, past life regression. We talked about hypnotism. He's a hypnotist in general. Very, very uh, informative. Two clever lads in different ways. Um... And I just got a, I got a shock really with Jazza, Jazza Dickens because he wasn't what I expected. What did you expect? As a boxer, I just thought he'd speak about the normal things that boxing boxers speak about: training, doing your road work, talking about weighing up and sizing up opponents, 
different foods that he eats to get his strength, maybe different ways that he spars and how he gets ready for a fight, how he psychs himself up. He'd done all that, which was great, but he's also, like me, uh, and like Phil Steele, and like yourself a little bit, yeah. um, he's kind of a little bit, not how can I say, not weird, but he's on the psychic zone, and he was talking about um, willing things to happen, wasn't he? Yeah. And he'd always, he said, which I just couldn't totally believe, I was blown away by, he said he'd always had this kind of thing in his mind, like a daydream that he thought of every now and then, that he'd become the world champion, and then he would eat this pie, a Bonoffi pie. The ABA champion. Yeah, no, he thought about, the same thing. No, he didn't say he was going to have a Bonoffi pie after the world title. You're trying to make me out to be a liar on things. I'm not telling lies. You can go back and watch it. Go on. Oh, look, this is... Why do you always do this? What do you mean? No, I'm telling a story. I'm going to come to the ABAs. But then I'm going to come to... He had the dream that he was always going to be the world champ. And he said, then he did a Bonoffi pie as well. As well as the ABAs. That one's come true. The world champ one hasn't come true. He said that one as well. I didn't know that. Yeah. Sam, well, look, we really enjoyed having Jazza on just to give people a little bit of insight into the vibe that we've got going on. Uh, we've got a we've got a, a group chat on WhatsApp. What's it called, Frank, me, you and Jazza? I don't know, just a bit shocked. Just let me finish this anyway. Go on. So we'll go back to the ABAs then. The ABAs are like the Golden Globes in America. You become the best boxer before you kind of um, in the UK on at the ABAs. And... Uh, he won the ABAs, but he'd always had this thing in his mind that he was going to become the world champ. And then he would eat this Bonoffi pie. And that actually came true. I didn't even know what a Bonoffi pie was. But then he went on to say that he'd always had this daydream as well, that at the same thing, he'd become world champ and, he, and, and he'd eat this Bonoffi pie. Yeah. So we're still waiting for the world champ one, which he's fighting kid Galahad very soon. Yeah. And I'm sure he's going to win. Yeah, so just to fill people in, I was laughing because we've got a group chat on our WhatsApp podcast, Mafia, it's called. Shout out to Jazza. It's me, you and Jazza. And I was walking this morning down by the canal and I texted him because I had the weirdest dream about him. So not not a weird not a weird dream in that way. But uh, I had a dream about Jazza that basically we were backstage in like this factory thing and everyone was there, like all Jazza's mates were there and we were there and... We couldn't watch the fight, but then he just won the world title, ran up to everyone, everyone was hugging each other. Do you think that's a bit of a premonition or what do you reckon? Well, we won't know until he's actually had the fight, until the fight's over, you know, the final rounds and until the referee holds his hand in the air. But I'm pretty sure, you know, he's going to win. I mean, this is a mandatory, you know, compulsory is the word really, rematch because... He's fought the same opponent before for a world title shot. He got beat, but it was found that his opponent, Kid Galahad, had taken illegal substances. So, obviously, he can't do that now. He's going to get tested for this, the second fight that he's got. I'm sure that, uh, I'm pretty sure, speaking to him, he's got the confidence, the ability. He's a, he's a marvellous boxer, and I think he'll definitely win. Brilliant. So, how are you feeling in general? A bit more positive? We've been booking some events in getting things back rolling. How are you feeling in general with your life at the moment? Feeling great. As I say, the uh, the lifting of the lockdown can't come soon and quick enough for me because I'm absolutely fucking fed up. You know, cleaning my car today, went the car wash, 
cleaning the fucking wheels, spraying them with this wheel thing, cleaned everywhere up. Then you go cleaning the fridge and then you go, what else can you do? You know, I do a little bit of studying. I'm still learning my languages, reading, watching a bit of TV. You can watch too much telly and your fucking eyes water. So human beings... What, like crying? Yeah, human <laughs> beings are geared to interact with each other socially, which people haven't been able to do, but also to work. Oh, wait know. there. Something we have been enjoying lately that people can get you on. What do you think has been an amazing tool of communication for you that has actually picked you up a little bit during the lockdown? Fill us in, fill people in. It's an app that you've been using called Clubhouse. Yeah, Clubhouse. We've been using Clubhouse. Um, it's an app that we use, and what it is, it's a platform, it's a forum where, like doing a three-way call on your phone, but you can speak to five, six, seven, eight, whatever it is, people at the same time. And somebody starts a room, they call it a room. So somebody starts a room, then you invite different people in. We've had people from all over the globe coming on. I mean, we got a guy last week, he came on, and uh, he was in New York, he was in New Jersey, in New York, and he was actually involved in boxing. I'm not sure if he was a promoter. He had couldn't really find out from him, but he had something to do with training, boxing. <laughs> looked like a young version of Don King, didn't he? Yeah, he was a good lad, he was yeah. great. And he sent a picture of Teddy Atlas. And I was telling him that, you know, we'd met Tim Witherspoon when he was in the UK, friends with Tim, Mike Tyson, we'd worked with him, Amanda Holyfield, Larry Holmes, all these people I've worked with and met. And, and, and So we had an awful lot in common. It's fantastic. Cool, yeah. If you want to go check out Clubhouse, you can get in chats with Frankie Allen and myself. We've got young Dave coming into the chat regularly, Kilvo's in the chat. It's a good laugh, isn't it? Yeah, we've got our own friends, our circle of friends. James Kilbington, our support comedian, he comes on quite often. And we've got our own mate, young Dave, who comes in, you know, almost every night. We've got Callum, another, your cousin, who's another, you know, your, your nephew, we should say, who's another um, avid, um, not reader, what's the word, the user of the app. It's great. And we get, you know, different people coming on. I mean, not everybody has been on kind of my cup of tea. You do get, you know, a couple of people coming on who's bragging about, you know, yeah, I don't like all that. One fella came on and said, oh, yes, this uh, has really, uh, you know, highlighted my profile and my business. I've made over three grand. I just went like that, fuck off, and just, just switch it off, you know. Yeah. You, can, you can leave, it says leave quietly, you can leave the room, so to speak, quietly, and every nobody else knows that you're gone, really. So when I heard this fella bragging, I thought, fuck this, and I just went, you know. Fair play. So I have been working hard the last couple of weeks, getting events back in motion. We are back on the road in May, May 17th, lockdown legislation lifts so that we can do social distanced events. But we are back from June 20, 25th is the first Friday. June 21st is when the legislation lifts to be able to do a full event again. In your mind, how do you see that look in that first June 25th? You know, the Friday evening, yeah. it's going to be jam-packed, no social distancing in place, as it would be a normal show. That's how things are supposed to play mm -hmm. out. I don't think we've done one of those since early 2019. Yeah, I mean, this had an effect on everybody psychologically. And last year, was it? I think it was not this year, was it late last year? They come up with the first lockdown in March, hadn't they? We were booked up. 
and sold out everywhere. It was a shame, you know, it's a terrible shame. Um, I think we were doing the Monaco and we had to pull out the Monaco in Wigan. We had to pull out. Uh, we'd sold all the tickets, all sold out. It was all very sad. And then we kind of went with it and everybody thought, you know, the general consensus was this is going to last four or five months. By the time September, September comes, we'd be up and running again. And it wasn't the case. We came to the end of the first lockdown. We managed to do a few kind of socially distanced jobs. Then the second lockdown came in, which is absolutely devastating to everybody. And we'd sold tickets earlier in the year for jobs in the on the cusp, really, of the second log, lockdown. And uh, when we done Middlesbrough, I think it was, you could see all the propaganda on the television, global pandemic. People had really had enough. People turned up at the club. They were on the Clippy Club in Hartlepool. Turned up and you could see people. It was a bad atmosphere. People were really down. They were depressed. They were anxious. People had lost their jobs. Um, hadn't been out. And they were coming out with these masks on just to get a drink. They had to lift a wooden spoon in, in the air with the number of their table on. So the waiter had come over. The waiter was behind this fucking plastic visor. All surreal, all horrible. And we had to work very hard to get them laughing, which we did, me and Jimmy, Jimmy Kilbo. You know, he, he was thrown to the lions, really. He had to go on at eight o'clock, try and get through to them. And it was very, very hard. So I think now that we've come to the end, when we start work again in June, I think it's just going to be a huge relief. And I think people are going to be up for it. Sounds like you're really, really looking forward to it. Yeah, well, I'm looking forward to it. I don't think that I could fucking last another six months like this. I'd lose my mind. You know, it's just... When they used to say on the television, when it, you know, we people came on, well, if we've got this lockdown, we've got to watch out for people who've got mental health problems. And I thought, okay, so fucking big deal. You're not working for a few months. You can find things to do. Just take it easy, you know. But don't forget, you can't go on holiday. No one's been able to go abroad. At one stage, if you remember, there were food shortages. People were panicking like fucking hell. Have they got enough food? The shelves last year were stripped bare in all the supermarkets. Talking about putting the army on the streets. You couldn't go out. You could only go in your backyard or the back garden. You couldn't even have visitors. It was like a scene from a movie, from a nightmare. And gradually it's got better. We've had a few kind of, uh, what's the word? You know, we've kind of, we kind of like regressed a little bit towards the end of the year where we've gone back to a total lockdown. And then we went to the, you know, different tiers, tier system, tier one, tier two, tier three. And now I think the only reason really the government are lifting lockdown completely is I, I think that, they realise people have literally had enough. We can't take any more. Fair enough. Back to work very soon. Let's run back a little bit. You know, I'm, I'm, I was thinking about this today, so I've been booking shows at full capacity now, and I haven't booked in any social distance shows yet. Based on what we did last year, are you glad we did the social distance shows or what? Well, well this is what I'm trying to say to you now about, I know you're booking out the main shows after June, but I'd like to work now or next month if we can, socially distanced. I mean, the socially distanced... You can't be allowed to wait till mid-May, social distance. Well, whenever it is. Yeah. I'm not saying work now yeah, yeah, or yeah. work next week. You know, whenever we're legally allowed to, to do it, whatever, let's start. Because 
when we done the socially distanced shows, when we done the outdoor show in Sefton in uh, Stanley, Stanley Park, Park, it was fantastic. And psychologically, I felt better. I felt great because I'd actually been working. So looking at all those shows, you know, even though Hartlepool when we went to it and it was like, you know, it was a little bit like weird and a little bit like poor atmosphere and stuff like that. No fault of the of the fans and, and the audience members that came. Like, would you take that again over nothing or? Yeah, I'd rather go, you know, don't forget, working on the clubs, being a comedian and you as the MC and the promoter and everything and the, 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 the management, management, it's not just about the hour or the hour and a half that you're on stage. It's your whole week. It's getting ready, putting your suit in the cleaners, getting it back out, getting your car ready, making sure there's air in your tyres, that you've got oil, even if it's a new car, because a lot of our venues are hundreds of miles away. If we are hundreds of miles away, we're down south, we've got to book the train or we've got to book a hotel overnight. Very, very complicated. Book the venue. You're watching to see how many tickets we've sold. And it's the journey as well I used to enjoy. You know, we've had some fantastic laughs, haven't we? When we were George, we went down to Norwich, going down in the back of a van, you know, in a mini bus, three-hour, four-hour journey, doing your time on stage. But when you're coming off the journey home, you're in <laughs> bed for a couple of days. I ate all that, I mean, you know. Well, you ate it all. Yeah. I mean, you you wouldn't mind if I never set foot on a stage again <laughs> and you just promoted this kind of, like, brand of, like, a, a comic book. <laughs> Figure of Frankie Allen. That's not what I want. I want to work and have an audience in front of me, and that's what I miss. No, I love live shows. Don't get me wrong. I think live shows are amazing. But you don't like to travel. Don't like to travel, and it's like it's hard graft. Go, and that's something that I realised in the lockdown, reflecting on stuff. When we go back into stuff, potentially do things a little bit differently. Obviously, we're going into higher spec venues. On that note. Uh, we got news today that a lot of church clubs in Liverpool were going to be flattened, closed. I don't know whether that's public well, knowledge, but it fucking sad. is now. I'm not uh, sure whether they made an announcement, but this is what I've heard through the grapevine, mm. or what you heard, or what I heard, whatever, whoever wants to take the blame. <laughs> um, the church clubs, the church clubs, you know, the saint, whatever, saint this, saint that. Traditionally, what, what, why are they existing? Traditional what? Catholic clubs. Well, what it was, I mean... Basically, the church clubs evolved just after the war, really, when people who attended church, especially Catholic clubs, people who attended Catholic churches, wanted somewhere to go at the weekend where they could be entertained and it was close to the parish. A lot of people had this mindset when I was a kid or before, even just after the war, people had a mindset of belonging to a parish and the parish was an area of like three or four miles in circumference around the actual church that you attended. And, you know, I went to I went to a Catholic school, St. Oswald's in Old Swan. Now, so I went to that school, which was attached to the church. You made your communion and everything. You got uh, confirmed at that church. And if you got married, you got married at that church. So it was a kind of, although we all lived in, a city in Liverpool, it, they were all like villages within a city. And people were very loyal to the parish clubs. They'd go along there, you know, every Friday, Saturday and Sunday. They always had acts on. So they knew everyone that was in the club. You know, you'd go into a club at the weekend 
and uh, you'd see people there that you went to school with. So it was a social thing, really. And traditionally, during the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, it was a haven for entertainment. Every weekend, you had a group on, you had a singer, you had a comedian. That's where I cut my teeth, and that's where 99% of artists who are working now even, you know, made the name and cut their teeth on the social clubs, and in particular on the on on the uh, on the Catholic clubs, on on the um, the church clubs as they're called, and there were some, you know, Church of England clubs as well, and Methodist clubs, and the Conservative clubs. There's a lot, a lot, but mainly the Catholic clubs. Um, that's where you learn your trade, and it's very sad. I literally never thought I'd see the day when the clubs, the church clubs, would be closing. You know, it's a sad day, really. Yeah, so sad day. You got a lot of memories from those clubs. Is there any particular one that you go fucking hell? I'd be devil to see the back of that one. Yeah, there's. You know, I used to do quite regularly St Basil's in Witness. That was a fantastic club, Catholic club. You've got um, St Bennett's up in Netherton Bootle. You know, that was a great club. Me and Mickey Finn, who sadly passed, the comedian Eddie Arch, yeah, Hal Nolan. We always done big comedy nights there and these clubs you know would hold like three four five hundred people fantastic nights they were built specifically with entertainment in mind so you had a great big stage you had curtains they were like a mini kind of theater if you will i'm sure a lot of people have been in those type of well, clubs of course they have and um when at the end of the 90s really 2000s came in when cabaret started dying a little bit a lot of the clubs still made money hiring the rooms out for weddings, for christenings and uh, different functions, birthday parties, different events. But there's still at least one night a week they had entertainment on, which would always be a band, be a comedian, a female singer or a male singer. So it's been a great tradition, you know, and it's a lot, a lot of big names as well. You know, Tom O'Connor was a big uh, Liverpool comedian in the 70s and 80s became very famous and uh, big name in the UK. He started off, like we all did, going around the church clubs, you know, from one to the other. So, yeah, it's very sad. I never thought I'd see the day. Okay, so I have just booked a load of new shows today. They are going to be announced for everyone with a brand new tour, brand new show for 2021, Frank, is that right? Brand new. Brand new show for 2021. We've got a lot of different stuff to do, different material. We've had time to uh, alter a few things, you know, in my act. I know that uh, Jimmy Kilbo was doing a little bit of acting. I believe you're MCing in a different way. Totally. Well, yeah. I'm going to do it standing on so my So it's going to be a different show completely, really. So, you know, obviously we've all been rejuvenated and reinvigorated. We should be by having the rest. And... Uh, Looking forward to the countdown, whatever it is, 21st of June, our first show. Yeah, so hopefully tour is going to be announced by the end of um, March, which will be very soon when you see this podcast. And we're going everywhere in the UK, Huddersfield. We're, uh, I think Huddersfield is the first day back. That's a reschedule. We're going to be in Wigan. We're going to be in Sunderland, Great Yarmouth, Swindon, um, bloody everywhere, Liverpool. Bigger, bigger venues. Let me ask you this. We've started booking theatres. We've started booking theatres at 440 capacity plus. We're going up as big as 1500 capacity this time round. 
how do you feel about that? Does it make you feel nervous? Does it make you feel excited? Do you feel indifferent to it? What do you think? Feel quite indifferent. I'm just kind of like, I always worry, you know, are they going to sell? Will they sell tickets? You don't of course know. they will. Come on, the, the eternal pessimist. Well, not being pessimistic. I don't know. Now, we've just heard the news today. All the chairs clubs are closing. I mean, there's always going to be a vehicle. There's always be a vehicle for comedy. There'll always be places, you know, theatres. There's always going to be places where... But this lockdown, I'm not being morbid, it's been absolutely horrendous for people. A lot of theatres, a lot of venues, social clubs, um, theatres and what have you, will never open again. A lot of pubs that have closed during this lockdown, I'd say 50%, 70%, will never open again. And, you know, during the 80s and 90s, pubs as well were a marvellous venue for artists to appear on, you know, for different acts. You know, Anfield Agency were a huge agency in the 80s and 90s. I think they're still going now. When everybody was working, all the artists were working four, five, six nights a week. There were that many pubs in the 80s that had entertainment on. They had to open up another agency called Public Entertainment to take care booking accents of pubs every night to be a singer on a pub to be a comedian on a pub to be a female singer to be a band to be a hypnotist you just can't believe the way over the last 20 to 30 years that it's just all fallen away so although I'm optimistic about the future you know about myself personally about my own act I know I'm going to work but I don't think a lot of the pubs and the clubs that today we just found found out you know that's uh the church clubs are gone completely now. They're going to sell all the clubs, all got to be knocked down and, and just be sold for land. Very, very sad. So, yeah, I think that, uh, you know, there may be one or two pubs, one or two clubs. Don't think one will, or two pubs, clubs, not pubs. Pubs survive. are going to survive. Yeah, no, I was saying that we'll survive for entertainment, I mean. But it's I, I don't know whether it's going to be the way it was a few years ago. Yeah, I mean, I just think it's because people's habits have changed. The the thing is, I mean, you're speaking to one of my friends about this earlier. You know, fortunately, uh, yourself, myself, we're in a fortunate position with what we've done over the past few years that kind of has elevated you onto a level where you're you're doing live venues and 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 performance based venues. Yeah. But if you'd have gone viral in 2021 during mm. the lockdown or something like that it could have been a whole lot of a different situation to kick this off couldn't it because where do we go from there i mean even since you went viral in 2018 we still did pubs for six months then we did social clubs for six months yeah but that was only kind of a transition that was just a transition period where i had a lot of work already booked in through agents and through you know people in the business friends of mine clients and i you know I had to honour them. You can't just walk away. No, but I'm not it's saying... It's just like winning the lottery. You can't, you know, walk away from your family or whatever. I had to honour those bookings that I had in. And there was a transition period where we went from doing those kind of venues to doing bigger stuff. And that's great. And it's worked out very well. No, but what I'm saying is, you know, it that, that it's quite lucky in a way. Not, you know, that it, it came when it came. Because if you think about it now, the clean break between social clubs and, and stuff like that, there's kind of like, don't you think there's a, a, a larger degree of separation between those venues than there once was? Well, of course there is, yeah. There's a huge difference now between what was a social club. I mean, they were in the throes, really, weren't they, the last few years of... And some of them were, you know, did go to the wall and they were knocked down and, and the land sold. 
you know, for property developments and things. So it's always been a bit, it's always been sad, but I always thought, always hoped, you know, they could survive. But once this, when the second lockdown came in, I said, no, you know, a lot of these, all, all these social clubs are going to go to the wall. I knew they wouldn't survive. Mm. You sound like you're a bit um, disillusioned today in terms of like... Well, it's not good news, is it? If you, you're like me and you've worked on, you know, church clubs, British legions, conservative clubs, this really is a body blow to anyone who's in the entertainment industry who's worked on them. You know, it's kind of... Um, the only thing you can kind of make a comparison to Imagine if you were a kind of footballer all your life, then you found out that from next week there'll be no, like, um, premiership. There'll only be one league or something, you know. You go, fucking, I never thought this would happen. Yeah, but it's not, it's not a direct comparison. What you're saying is, like, I see what you mean. I'm saying on a personal level, I just feel a bit upset because I've worked all my life on these clubs. Now they're all gone. So a little bit of me has died in a way. I'll never be on a parish club again because they're all gone. Got you, got you. Well, I don't know whether that's UK-wide. I don't know whether that's public knowledge, but it's what we've heard on the grapevine. And uh, yeah, it is something that's quite interesting because it shows the direction that things are heading in. What do you think happens next for live entertainment when things get back to normal? You know, the, obviously we were talking earlier about people's how, how people's habits have changed, yeah. you know, how we're doing larger and larger venues. But if you weren't in that position, what happens to those artists now that are like, you know, in the position that you were, let's say, five years ago? Well. What do you reckon? Well, just like what's happened to the artists during the lockdown, really, a lot of them have to go and get day jobs. A lot of artists, I mean, the demise of the social clubs from them booming in the 80s and 90s where there were, there were thousands of acts around the northwest and around the country generally. There weren't enough acts to go around the clubs. The demand, there was a phenomenal demand, you know, for um, sportsmen's evenings in a club on a Friday night, in a social club, in a parish club, on a Saturday, on a Sunday afternoon and Sunday night. Bands, everybody wanted groups on and... Uh, People were up for it. You know, there's queues outside these clubs. I went to a club in Sheffield one night called uh, Firth Park. Huge club. Must have held about seven or 800 people. People used to queue up outside half past six at night just to make sure they got a seat and they got in. And there was no big stars on. It was just a singer, a comedian and a band. But also they had the bingo. They had raffles and things. Uh, and people worked all week and looked forward to go into the local social club. That was the that was the highlight of the week, really, for them. Now, as you've said, people's habits changed. You know, people generally became more kind of house proud, do it yourself. People instead of saying, "Oh, we're going out on Saturday, we're going to St Basil's," they'd say, "Yeah, we're going out on Saturday, we're going to fucking MFI." No, I disagree with you on that. Like, if I'm going out. Yeah, but you're, no, you're going out. I'm going out for a clubs. meal or somewhere that I, for a nice drink, and it's yeah. it's not entertainment focused. It's more kind of experience focused. No, if that but makes if you sense. remember, I can remember during the eighties there was a swing away from going out to watch live entertainment for people who staying in and entertaining themselves with the TV, with videos when videos came in, and with renovating the houses, making the houses nice. 
When I was a kid in the 70s, nobody gave a fuck what your house was like. People just wanted to be out drinking. There was a big drinking culture. People went to work. On the way home from work, people would stop off for two or three hours in a pub. All that's gone. People's habits have changed. But the social clubs themselves are partly to blame because after the 80s and 90s, they never really encouraged younger people to come in the clubs. So when the older generation died off, there was no one to take the place. So they really started struggling. A lot of them have closed already before this pandemic and before you know these announcements really that uh, of, of the uh, parish clubs closing. It's interesting. I've been looking already. I mean, obviously I'm, I'm well aware of how much lead time you need on an event and, and, and most tickets usually sell within the final 12 weeks. So there's no, no point putting an event on with more than yeah. 12 weeks lead time. But I've been putting events on with like 30 weeks lead time. Okay. Just sly in the back, like not marketing them, not like pushing them or anything. Tickets are just flying out the door. Do you think it's just because people are just trying to, people are just ready to go I to get out? kind of, it's a, it's a strange thing. It's kind of like, um, I always make the analogy where if you were in a shipwreck and you were in the Atlantic Ocean and there was a life belt coming towards you, cling to it. People become very clingy, especially a lot of British people are very clingy during a crisis. And it's like when we worked in Tenerife, all right, we sold out in Tenerife. A lot of people were coming to see me, see Frankie Allen because his video went viral. So, but before that, before I came, like, uh, before I become well-known and famous, even before that, I'd go abroad to places and people would come out you know, there'd be a lot of people who'd be coming out just because you were coming from England because they they felt a bit homesick. Yeah. So people would go, yeah, you know, oh, we've got a comic from Manchester, a comic from Liverpool. And, and because they lived abroad, they go and watch someone and they wanted a little bit of England to come to them, if you know what I mean. Yeah. So I think that what will happen now, people, not that they've been used to lockdown, they've had to live this life of, you know, not being able to travel freely, not being able to go abroad, not being able to go out and have a drink in a pub, not being able to go out and watch an act, not being able to go out to a social club and watch a band. So it was always there for them, whether they wanted it or not, but when it's taken away from them, then they want it back. And as you say, I'm pretty sure that when it's opened up, the floodgates will open and people will be out en masse, you know, and appreciating the fact that they can be entertained, they can go out for a drink, they can go on holiday. So I think they're going to be kind of like, um, you know, like like a booking Bronco that's penned in. They're going to be released and they're going to go, oh, fucking hell, this better not never happen again in my lifetime. I'm going to make sure I enjoy myself now. I think that's a good thing for the entertainment industry in general, the, the kind of reflective period that, that taking that away from people has made people more... in inclined to go for it now and 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 be like fuck this I, I want to make the most of the experiences that i've got because it, the lockdown period has made people realize how precious time is and experiences are well that's why you got the boom after the war you know during world war Two, obviously people had relatives and friends and people in the family that have been killed during the war. You know, the big cities in Britain, people were being bombed every night, 100 times worse than what we've endured in the pandemic. So when the war finished, straight after the war, the country was booming. 
People wanted to enjoy themselves. They wanted to go on holiday. They wanted to go out for a drink. They wanted to be in each other's houses, having a laugh. And I think you're going to get a similar thing where people have realised this is no way to live. If I can go out and get... I think you're going to see, after June, you'll see hundreds of people out on the streets. Just like VE night, you know, victory in Europe. When the end of the war was declared on the radio, thousands of people were out in the streets and never went home. They never went to bed that night. People were just out dancing in the streets. All the pubs were open. People were walking into each other's houses. Have you got any drink and just drinking in the streets? Just went on for days. People sleeping in the streets. VE night. Well, I've been thinking about this, right? June 21st is when the lockdown's lifted. Yeah. Okay. Funnily enough, that's the uh, midsummer. Yeah, midsummer's day. Okay. June tw- and, and when I say the lockdown's lifted, that's when all restrictions are off. So that's okay. no holds barred. The mad thing I was talking to you about this today before yesterday, and it was hard for you to piece in your head what that looks like. And you were going to me, so what does an event look like in June? So an event in 2019 for us, which is a million miles away in people's minds from what the normality is now, was people sitting right next to each other, you being able to go up to the bar, queuing around the place yeah. for photographs where you could come up to the stage and shake your hand and put your arm around each other and all the rest of it. And that is going to be the normality again. It's difficult to believe now, isn't it, really? Everybody, I mean, an awful lot of people are saying, I think there's going to be another lockdown. Yeah. Because it, it's almost as though it's too good to be true. But thank God the number of deaths in the country has come down, the number of COVID cases is coming down thanks to the vaccine. And uh, we've done, it's fantastic. The rollout's been absolutely amazing. Unprecedented, you know, you compare the UK to other countries in Europe, three million, four million. I think Germany has done five million and they're the top of the league in Europe. We've done 25 million people. Everyone in the country will be vaccinated within the next couple of months. So as long as we don't let, you know, other variants in or we keep on top of other variants, we're home free, really. And I actually think that uh, there will be a boom. You know, I think... I don't think we'll go back to lockdown because for a variety of reasons, really. I think the governments are becoming increasingly nervous about their own backbenchers who are kicking off saying, you know, we'll never get into power again. People will never vote Tory again because they've been ruined. Whether you like it or not, they've been ruined financially, economically, under a Tory government. And I think that's why Donald Donald Trump would have been re-elected for a second term in the States if it wouldn't have been for the um, for, the, for the virus. People, even if it's subconsciously, not consciously, you know, they're going, look, I've lost my job. I, 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 you know, they I don't need say change. Well, it's because of the virus. Mm. They go, subconsciously, they think, well, who's the president? Donald Trump. Oh, no, let him go now. Let's get someone else in. Hoping at the back of the mind, somewhere in their subconscious, the things are going to be different. So I don't know if you've heard of this. The Tory backbenchers have threatened a rebellion against the government, the 1922 committee. And what they're saying is, look, you know, the cavalry's here. The vaccine is here. You know, people are being vaccinated. Let's get back to normal a lot earlier than June. Let's start getting back to normal in April or even March. And the government, who are very cautious, 
and have been leaving to, you know, listening to the scientists a lot more cautious. But even though they're cautious, I don't think they want another lockdown. I don't think anyone does. To, to, do no, they, but I don't mean? think, you know, I, th- I think they're becoming a bit fearful, maybe of their own party, members of parliament rebelling on them, and, and civil unrest as well, you know. You will get that eventually. People is, people don't want to live like caged animals and, 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 and they'll start going out and even if they get locked up, people will say, no, I've had enough. There's only a certain amount of uh, restrictions that people can take. All right, let me ask you this then, because I'm dead curious. So the lockdown lifts on the 21st of June. Yeah. The 21st of June is a Monday. Okay. okay. First weekend is the 25th on the Friday evening yeah. and the 26th on the Friday evening. I've booked both those dates out. Okay. okay. So we are working on the Friday somewhere and on the Saturday somewhere. Right. Are people going to be out from the Monday night as though it's a like fucking let's go? Well, yeah, yes and no. I think people will go out as soon as a pub is open. You know, I think it's only going to be people will go out and they'll have a night out. But I think most people even though technically they can go out on the Monday night. To wait for the Friday. They'll be back to work, don't forget, a lot of them will be because the course, restrictions are lifted. Yeah. So they'll be back to work. So they'll be in work on the Tuesday morning. And so they'll say, probably they'll say, let's wait for the Friday and we'll go to Frankie Allen's show. Yeah. So I actually think we're going to have a fantastic night on the first night and the second night. And from now, you know, for the foreseeable future, I think not just me, but any entertainer that's out there is going to get a fantastic response now. Just using the fact. All you'd have to say, you know, you know, ladies and gentlemen, we've been through a terrible time, and give yourself a round of applause, you people. We've been through the war. Now we've been through the. Now we've come. You know, you're gonna get a standing ovation, aren't you? you yeah, know? yeah, yeah. The British people are like that, you know. Um, and we have, you know, let's have it right. All joking aside, um, I'm very proud, really of the scientists in this country, what they've done with the vaccine, the way the NHS has rolled 25 million vaccinations out when no other country in the world has done more than fucking 5 million. And the humming and hawing, you know, France and Germany saying, oh, it could be unsafe. What the fuck? This is a vaccine that's saving your life. You know, get it done. Get it. Get 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 things back to normal as soon as we possibly can. What would you say from the period on reflection of the lockdown, can you tell me some positive changes that it has made to you in general? Has it made you more grateful for what life was? Has it made you more grateful of being on stage? Has it made you yeah. reconsider certain things? I don't, I, you know, I'm trying not to go down a negative tangent of I want people to be uplifted by this and kind of feel like this is the yeah. finish line because that's how we feel. But I'm curious as to, I'm sure there's a lot of people out there who've been a lot of time to reflect. Have you had a lot of, obviously you've had a lot of time for, to reflect. On the back of this, is there some things that you will be so grateful for and, you know, that you, you'll really, really kind of cherish when you go back to normal life? Well, yeah, obviously kind of like uh, you're grateful for, you know, your family. I've got you, you know, my family and extended family, whatever. And it makes you, it does make you kind of grateful for what you've got and see things in a different light. And I've noticed people have become a lot friendlier towards each other. When we weren't in the lockdown, when everybody was working, not saying people were miserable and they were standoffish with each other, but now you'll see a lot of people who are kind of like just speaking very freely to each other when you go to garages and things. People, that kind of... uh, 
what's the word, pretense of, I don't even know how to, what to say really. It's kind of like the old joke in it, you know, the old, that, that uh, there were two English fellows were marooned on a desert island and uh, they never spoke to each other in 10 years until they were rescued because they hadn't been introduced. <laughs> yeah. So that's what it's like. But all the kind of formalities of meeting people, and you know, you, you, you see, it seems to be a lot more freer now. People are much more apt to break into conversation, to say hello at bus stops and uh, in supermarkets. You get people talking quite a lot. I mean, it's been quite scary, hasn't it? You might remember being with you and your mum. We were in the. Um, Marks Spencer's. Marks Spencer's in Aintree. And you get, you went, once you get a crisis like this, people are actually dying. Then rumours are flying around and things get exaggerated. People were saying, if you remember, people were saying, there's going to be no meat next Friday. <laughs> yeah. You know? And people are going, you're fucking joking. So I remember walking to the car and my mate Neil, <laughs> shout out Neil. I uh, text Neil. <laughs> and he... <laughs> And uh, he saw he sorts meat out and yeah, well, that was the guy. To, to everyone around Liverpool. He, he's like the meat supplier to all the restaurants in so town. Was, I was like, can you get me some meat? Yeah, it was just can like you? it was like World War Two. Yeah, this was only eight nine months ago, and the report this was in the newspaper. What people were doing, a lot of people were panicking that much about food, getting food in. People were going out and buying two or three freezers. Can you imagine that yeah. extra freeze, extra fridge freezers? So you'd go into your house, you'd have your fridge freezer, and then buy the fucking French windows, patio doors, whatever they're called. There'd be another fucking two just standing there, full of food. People started to get this idea: I'm not going to starve to death. Yeah, I'll get food. There was no toilet paper. Now, as ridiculous as it sounds, this isn't a joke. I went to the Diazda in Ainsley. Okay. There was a soldier. Remember when the, the, the army came out for a little bit yeah. around the supermarkets? There was a soldier standing there with a big gun. There was a copper standing there, a policeman standing there, full uniform, like a high-ranking policeman. He was he was armed with a big gun, standing in front of toilet rolls. <laughs> yeah. That's not a fucking joke. Yeah. That was true. And as you say, it's easily forgotten. It was only a few months ago... You'd go into, I used to go into this Iceland or go into the Asda. You'd go in sometimes, there was nothing on some of the shelves all stripped yeah. bare. We know it was only people panicking. There was no real break in the chain of supply from farm to fork. You know, the farms weren't dying on mass of the virus. It wasn't like a movie. The lorry drivers, the truck drivers weren't collapsing on the motorway. But it did get to a stage where it was becoming quite surreal and a little bit scary. And when you get that situation, you also get people who, for whatever reason, I don't know why, um, buy into this scaremongering. You know, I remember lying in bed one night and a friend of mine, George, our driver, he won't mind me saying, George, you wear mould. He's a good lad, he's great and everything. And I was lying in bed and he's whispering down the phone, and he went, Frankie, I'm on the M57. I said, yeah, and he went, there's tanks everywhere. <laughs> yeah. I said, you're fucking joking. No, 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 no. He went, don't go down the 57. 
the tanks, you'll be arrested. Then yeah. you were hearing rumours. A lot I had of motorway stuff and all that. I had a rumour. I was in my mate's pub, Tommy Nash, good lad. He's got a pub up in the Wellington in Prescott. And I was up there. Um, one of the barmaids, I think this was like just before the total lockdown or whatever it was. Something was going on, but they were kind of like semi-open. And she said, and this is perfectly true again, um, a friend of mine went for a test and tested positive, but didn't know that she had a positive test. And that night, two vans came with the police and all these fellas in white coats. Oh, no, I'm not yeah. having that. That's a, that's well, a blag, I know, clearly. I, I know it's well just said. Yeah. I know it's... It's fantasy, it never happened. Okay. What I'm trying to illustrate is the way the people will invent things and exaggerate during a crisis. The Emperor's New Clothes, isn't it? You know, Hans Christian Andersen wrote a novel and, and um, the, you know, the, the, they made a movie of it, the king is in us all together. People were that frightened of the king. He, the king went off his head and he walked out into the street with nothing on. Mm. People were so scared of him, you know. The public was saying, have you seen? And he, and he said, look at my new suit. And everyone was saying, oh, yes, your highness. What a fantastic suit. So people were that scared. Nobody would admit that really he'd gone off his head and he had no clothes on. Everyone was saying, yes, the king is, is in a, his lovely suit. Look at his lovely suit. He had nothing on. People exaggerate. When you tell a person one thing, by the time it's got to the third person, it's blown up <laughs> out of all proportion. And that's what was happening with the food supply. You know, don't get me wrong, the supermarkets were running short of things only because of panic buying. And I often wonder now, all those people that bought, bought thousands of joints of meat, yeah, thousands of toilet rolls, thousands of fucking whatever ice cream that they froze, have they still got them or what have they done now? You know what I'm wondering? How, how the hell you got onto that subject when I was asking you what you were grateful for? <laughs> Doesn't matter, it's still entertaining. Would you, can I just have a Yeah, go a on. Break? Okay, so back to my original question. I want a positive okay. positive end to this podcast, you know. I'm sure people have enjoyed it, but I want to I wanna know a positive perspective from Frankie Allen on... What has the the lockdown period, the pandemic, taught you that you're going to take back into life afterwards? Well, obviously, it's taught me that life is very precious and everybody out there never take the time that you're alive for granted because a lot of people, obviously, all over the UK, all over the world, really, have died purely because of the COVID virus. So... Just let's all thank God we're coming out of it now and we're coming out of it in good health and appreciate things. Appreciate, you know, the countryside where you live. Appreciate your own family. Appreciate people. Appreciate the situation you're in, that you're in good health. I think that's something to, to be thankful for. Brilliant. Do you think you'll appreciate the stage more or did you just love that anyway? I mean, I've only ever lived for the stage. And it's been horrendous for me not to be on the stage. But um, it's made me more determined now. Once I go back on stage, I always put 100% into my performance when I'm on the stage. But I'm determined now 
to do new material, to do things a little bit differently and um, take myself, hopefully, to another level. Boom. Loving that. That's a great end to the podcast. So just a, a couple of notes for everyone. You can find um, all the Frankie Allen tickets at frankieallen.co.uk for those that are on sale now. Any re- reschedules should all be done, but there will be uh, maybe a slight few more that need touching up. If you do want Frankie to come to your city, town, anywhere, let us know in the comments below. We'd love to come to every area that we can. Give us a thumb up on the vid. Get yourself subscribed. Come on. 13,000 subscribers coming up now. Um, and yeah, what I wanted to say, Frank, before we do leave, a lot of people can come to see you, Frank, and the new tour is going to be out. So, you know, to anyone who's coming to our show or has never been along to, to one of the Frankie Allen shows before and they're going to buy tickets to see a show post-lockdown, what should they expect? They should expect a fantastic evening. We've got a great support comedian, James Kilvington. They've got me on, you know, Britain's, UK's most feared comedian, They've got Will Cranny on as MC organiser, and he's brilliant at doing that. And I mean, it's just a fantastic evening. I don't think that we've had a bad show. Can you remember anywhere? Touch words. But we we haven't had a bad response. We've had a f- couple that were not our fault this way. I think people have been drinking in the afternoon been a little excited and they've got to the venue and the audience are a little bit tipsy but it doesn't matter we've still managed to go down very very well so we've got a 100% record and we're aiming to uphold that onwards and upwards keep that on I would love you to come and see us at a live show um, and I'd love you to let us know what guests you want to see in future episodes obviously as I said this was a bit of a clean break because we'd had two guests that we really really enjoyed but a lot of people were calling for me and Frank to have a chat between ourselves and I hope you enjoyed it we're trying to please everyone and uh, yeah more special guests coming for you very soon I've got some in mind Frank's got some in mind but if you guys have got any in mind please place them in the comments below so from me Will Cranny from Frankie Allen any, any last words Frank? Stay safe, everybody. As I say, we've reached the shore, but we're not standing up yet. So just be careful when you're out there, especially if you haven't been vaccinated. Keep, you know, take the precautions and you'll be okay. Take care. Positive moves going forward and uh, we'll see you all soon. Thank you very much.